This is a Culture Inject production. The Nevers Podcast presents Firefly Back in the Skies. Welcome back to Firefly Back in the Skies. I'm Laura and look here, it's the return of Tyg. Our former co-host has returned. So hi, Tyg. Ahoy, pleasure to be back. <laughs> so basically, in case you missed it, Chirag is taking some time off and Tyg has uh, graciously agreed to fill in for him on Firefly Back in the Skies. So welcome back and thank you for sitting in for Chirag. My, my pleasure. Uh, what have you been up to since our listeners last heard you? I've actually been quite busy. I've been bouncing back and forth between writing comic book reviews for pop, culture and comics. And then I've started a YouTube channel with a good friend of mine. We uh, react to TV shows and sort of generally share theories and discuss. It's uh, The Dragon and the Hound on YouTube. That's been taking up a lot more of my time than I ever thought. But... It's been a lot of fun, and I was pleasantly surprised by how friendly everyone was. You know, the first rule of the internet is never read the YouTube comment section. <laughs> so we were expecting a certain amount of sort of trolling, but it's actually been everyone's been really friendly, and it's it's been a lot of fun. But it's still it's it's good to be back. I really miss casting with you all, so I'm glad to have a chance to return, albeit briefly. Well, we're very happy to have you back. So yeah, I guess we'll get into this week's episode. Would you like to do the honours? Oh, go on then. <laughs> Maybe a little bit rusty. Let's see what we can do. So we're here today to discuss our Mrs. Reynolds. As an unexpected reward for an unpaid job, Mal suddenly finds himself married to the seemingly naive and subservient young Saffron, who's claiming to be his wife. This episode first aired on October 4th, 2002, which is worryingly a long time ago. <laughs> And stars all the usual criminals and all our favourites, plus the additions of Christina Hendricks playing Saffron, Benito Martinez as Corbin, Eric Persoja, sorry, as Brie, and of course this episode was written by the amazing Joss Whedon and directed by actor-slash-director Vondi Curtis-Hall. Great cast. So... I didn't know this before, but um, an interesting fact about this episode is that River has no lines. Um, there's one scene that she did speak in, but it was cut during the final edit due to time constraints, but also to draw as little attention to her character as possible. Why, you might ask? Well, between River's erratic social behaviour and the fact that the prior episode established that she could read minds, it would have made Saffron's con much more difficult to pull off. Because... Uh, in the same scene, uh, in the scene that was cut, River confuses the crew with um, one of her uh, seeming whimsies where she's trying to get Book to marry her and Simon. But Mal and Saffron come in and River accuses Saffron of being a thief, even though she's not seen her steal anything. So this kind of shows River's knowledge of Saffron's true nature, though at this point Saffron's still playing the subservient wife. So yeah, I didn't actually know this. And then on watching the episode, you see that we really only get maybe two or three i think it is glances of river kind of in the background mm. she's in a lot of the kind of the big group shots like the the um the cargo holds yeah. scene right at the start where we're first introduced to saffron she's kind of standing in the background there looking crazy yeah and then she sort of just disappears for the whole episode and it's i think it 
speaks to how strong this episode is that actually I didn't notice the first <laughs> seven or 15 times I watched this episode. Yeah. That she, she's just not in it. She's a central figure to the episode, but to the series, but somehow she's not here and you kind of don't even notice because the rest of the episode is so freaking hilarious. Yeah, it is. It's brilliant. And it's really nice to see um, kind of we're stepping back from this overarching story that goes throughout the series of, you know, where River's from and, you know, trying to keep her safe. And just really getting this really nice episode where we're getting to see the crew interact and just have this hilarious, yeah, it's just one of the funniest episodes, I think, I was in Stitches. (laughs) So, um, kind of, we'll go through it, through the episode bit by bit. I I think mostly for this episode, I'm just picking out all my funniest lines, which I found to be like I was just writing the entire script down, because... Literally every single line is hilarious. This was definitely Joss at his most Joss, which is always a good thing. It is. It is um, all Joss. Um, so we start, obviously, with the, the wagon coming through. And you see that there's a guy and a woman. And <laughs> then we get the whole funny thing with Jane. He's like, you know, see, I, I married me a powerful, ugly creature. <laughs> <laughs> and then Nathan Fillion at his what? absolute best. How could you say that? <laughs> How can you shame me in front of new people? Jane again, with, if I could make you prettier, I would. <laughs> and um, yeah, Mal, you are not the man I thought I married. I just love how much they get into, you know, no matter what they're doing, um, heists and all this like crime and everything, they keep this like grand level of humour and just, mm. yeah, it, it's brilliant to see. It really is. And Quite possibly one of the most iconic lines in, at this I just say, in fandom in general. Mm. I swear by my pretty floral bonnet, I will end you. Yeah. It's, like, it's just, it's iconic. You can't, even people that don't know the show now know that line. It's quoted on Big Bang Theory, one of the worst TV shows ever made. Like, <laughs> how can you, how can you fault that? It's just. Well, we started, we started watching it and I, I, I turned to my partner and was like, oh, my pretty little bonnet. And he looked at me all confused. And then as the scene went on, he was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm like, come on. <laughs> um, anyway, after that, obviously, we get the whole kind of party, partying scene around the fire. Everyone loves a good shindig. Everyone loves a good shindig. And Mao and Jane are definitely, definitely drunk. I love um, <laughs> Jane gets his rain stick, most fascinating item in the world. And uh you know, he's like, I will treasure this. And meanwhile, Mao is just kind of pointing to this floral wreath on his head. He's like, look, hat. <laughs> the foreshadowing is amazing. In the, in, the, in the next part where they're discussing the wedding ceremony, like you, you see each individual part happen. It's like yeah. no, nothing is off screen, but no attention is drawn to it. It's just, oh, he's been given a funny hat. Look at my funny hat. It's great. And you're like, ah, oh, mate, you have no idea what trouble you're in now. <laughs> well, I was about to Classic. say, the next big point I made was that they're getting back onto the ship and it's like this episode is suspiciously too happy and everything's going smoothly like <laughs> you know something's gonna go seriously wrong <laughs> you never have it be that happy without it going terribly a moment later mm-hmm. funnily enough speaking of after the serenity gets underway mal finds a stowaway in the cargo bay and it just happens to be the same lady that gave him a hat made from a tree and she happens to inform mal that she is now his wife to help make sense of things, Shepherd Book reads a book on local customs, and it turns out the hat, the wine, the dancing, 
It's all part of a local marriage ritual, which seems somewhat flawed to me. I'm not really sure how you can have a marriage ritual where one person can be blindly unaware of the whole time. But <laughs> as well as if that were true, Vegas wouldn't exist. So <laughs> who are we to judge? That scene in the cargo bay is one of my favourites in... And like, they're just they're sort of they're all going through and they're all they're all joking and it's just this one point where it kind of it turns almost instantly and there, there seems to be no real indicator of when it's going to happen but everyone goes from laughing and funny and then suddenly everyone's like dude mal come on you're being a bit of a dick now <laughs> it's it's really really well done and i think one thing i really i don't know if it's just because i've seen this episode more than any of the others one thing i've really noticed is obviously joss can quip for days you know he he writes amazingly sharp scripts really great at kind of turning a phrase but particularly in this episode i've noticed how well he uses not talking yeah there were so many opportunities in this episode where someone could have delivered you know a killer whedon style zinger but they don't there will be like a moment like in the end this very scene where he first meets his wife and he's like oh yeah but mr reynolds i'm your wife and it just cuts to mal's face and he's just like what doesn't say a word he just it's like you can see about seven different emotions going across his face <laughs> and without a word said it cuts to the credits like just beautifully done yeah i wrote the he same the thing i wrote the same thing i was like she says i'm your wife and mal can only give a look because usually he'd give one of his famous like huh or you know you know what what in the hell or son of a bitch but yeah he's just the again in chinese and again yeah and Nathan Fillion's um, facial expressions are just brilliant in this moment. Yeah, no, no words needed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many funny lines in this bit alone. I love um, Jane with, you know, all I got was a stick. Where do you get a wife? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of my favourite lines from the whole episode. Absolute <laughs> classic. And also washes because he's like, well, we always hoped you two kids would get together. Who, who is she? <laughs> he's... <laughs> Because each of them bring their very own level of comedy, but they all fit together so well. It's just perfect. Mm. But then, in Kazakhstan, they they end the scene on a real, like a serious burn. Um, Saffron runs away and, you know, sobbing in tears. The mood has started to turn against Mal. Mm. And then he goes, he tries to go after her. Obviously, you know, he's Mal, he's always the hero. And Zoe's like, "Eh, you sure that's the right plan? You know, you're you're the one that upset her. He's like, yeah, because the way I see it, me and her got one thing in common. We're the only ones that don't think this is funny oh dude you just they're all laughing and then suddenly somehow it all became mal's fault and then he just reminds them as he's leaving like yeah you're the ones that were joking about this me and her are being quite serious you're the ones being flippant about it so maybe don't try and judge me now so good yeah i just feel like it's the first time we've seen anara like truly truly angry and it's kind of like is it just because Mm. she's feeling for this woman in her situation or you know She's just upset because um, Mal's married someone and it's it's not her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much the, so. Just the true jealousy, free rage. Mm, the green-eyed monster is evident here. <laughs> so then Mal goes off to have a real heart-to-heart talk with his new wife, finds out she's called Saffron, basically tries to encourage her to be her own woman. You know, she doesn't just have to be someone's wife. Um, however, his efforts fail and... You know, he she excitedly goes off to cook him a meal because she's his new wife and this is one of her jobs, apparently. But yeah, I do like, um, I mean, throughout the whole episode, we have all of the tension between, you know, 
this is what a wife's supposed to do. And obviously being on a ship with Zoe and Wash, you have like a completely non, um, what would be traditional uh, kind of marriage relationship, which is brilliant because I love them. They're, they are, I think, my favourite couple on all television. Uh, they are a very, very strong couple in every way. Mm. That scene has one of my another one of my favourite lines through the whole episode. Where they're kind of, Mal's trying to console Saffron and she's like, oh, are you going to kill me? And he's no, and he starts talking, like, you, you've got to be strong with this. Someone tries to kill you, you, you kill them right back. Yeah. <laughs> such, such a Mal thing to say, it's so good. But I mean, in a, in a sort of a frontier universe like they live in, it's probably pretty strong advice. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, and then Mal encounters Book, and this is one of my favourite parts of probably the whole series, um, basically tells him that, you know, getting a divorce isn't going to be easy and they'd have to go back to the planet to get it. Um, that makes it clear how he feels about Mal's position, you know. If you take sexual advantage of her, you're going to burn it in a very special level of hell. And I just, like, yeah. I love his entry requirements to this level of hell, that it goes from, like, the most severe thing reserved for child molesters and people who talk in the theatre. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, they're going to that special level of hell. But basically, um, the whole special hell is just something that, yeah, like me and my family and friends use that a lot because someone does anything just a little bit bad and you're just like, oh, you're going to that special hell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Obviously, you know, Whedon's written a lot of iconic lines and he, he changed the way sort of this style of show was written forevermore. But it, it does feel like this particular episode could almost be used as a blueprint on how to write, like, really sharp, nerd, sort of sci-fi scripts. Like, mm. just every beat is perfect. And there's so many lines that have just become part of sort of the zeitgeist. I, I really don't understand how people could have watched this show when it was airing and not just, like, blown the world up talking about it. Mm. It's crazy. It's all Fox's fault. yeah like i said i never saw it when it originally aired so i didn't watch it with its like messed up um airing order i only saw it like years later and it was like that how did this show not do amazingly well it's fantastic but yeah it's all um well another one of those questions like if it was to air on netflix now it would be like as a new show it would probably be amazingly huge but yeah it it would absolutely explode but yeah yeah, we have our perfect... As usual. <laughs> perfect yeah. firefly. Joss's plan is always that... Uh, Joss's um, big weakness is always that he's about two or three years too early for any show. We see it again with mm. uh, Dollhouse and Westworld. Westworld now is just doing what Dollhouse did five years ago, but it's doing it on a better network, so it's become one of the biggest shows ever. Yeah. While Dollhouse is just that thing that Joss made that isn't Buffy. Yeah. I don't. I rarely encounter anyone that's even heard of Dollhouse, and it is funny because I know people yeah. that aren't necessarily uh, Whedon fans, but watch a lot of TV shows now that are very similar. And I think you know, I feel like Dollhouse would have been a very good show enjoyed by everyone, not just by Whedon fans. And yeah, like I say, mm. it's just kind of wrong place, wrong time. But um, I do love yeah, Dollhouse. Well. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so escaping an offer to have his feet washed by. Saffron, that is, not Book. Mal <laughs> runs off to Inara's shuttle to engage in their more comfortable conflicts. In the process of complaining about Mal's irregular schedule and its impact on her work, Inara gets around to expressing her contempt for his making a commitment to this woman and then breaking it. 
She finally chases him out of the shuttle where he immediately encounters an armed and menacing Jane. Not to worry though, Jane isn't looking for a standoff. He just wants to trade his favourite gun, Vera, <laughs> for Saffron. Obviously, Mal turns him down. Uttering again, as I'm one of the hundred thousand brilliant lines in this series you know jane approaches him being all serious and you gotta you gotta take me more seriously and he gives his whole spiel and it's all complete nonsense Mm -hmm. to which mal replies with the surgically precise well my days of not taking you seriously are certainly coming to a middle (laughs) (laughs) that is just an absolutely perfect cut down made all the better by the fact that you know jane did not understand a word of what he was saying he, he didn't get it yeah and that just makes it so much better <laughs> yeah i love jane he's one of my favorites i love that gun it's beautiful and um oh yeah yeah just the the his line seeing someone like so big and burly come out of lines like this is my very favorite gun <laughs> he's just um yeah. oh yeah and a train this is theft <laughs> <laughs> the gun is the gun is better than the woman, um, and yeah, obviously named Vera, just just brilliant. Yeah, I love it. I also love uh, when he goes into Anara's shuttle and you get the whole um, can I come in? And she says no, and he's like, see that that's why I don't usually ask because <laughs> if he asked to go in, she, he'd never get in there. Mm-hmm. I, I do love their sort of back and forth, the the, the chemistry between those two, like. As so often happens, actually as happens to uh, Marina Bakarin, that people that play sort of couples on TV end up being couples in real life. She's now hooked up with the guy that played Commissioner Gordon in Gotham. Like, I don't understand how those two didn't end up together because the chemistry between them is electric. Like, mm-hmm. you can feel that they, they can be talking about the price of bottled water and you can just feel the tension between them. It's like a Shakespearean tragedy waiting to happen <laughs> so when they're in a situation like this when there really is something to actually be quite tense about like it's just it's it's magnetic viewing and yeah it's just, I, I would love to know what the relationship between those two was like off camera because I have a feeling there's some stories to tell there <laughs> it'd be funny if they just didn't really talk to each other ignored each other it was just like yeah, yeah. and then they get on set and it's like boom <laughs> Yeah, so he tells Jane to just go off and play with his rain stick. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll let you make of that which you, what you will. Um, meanwhile, Serenity passes a camera mounted on an asteroid, uh, which tracks them and takes images. Uh, on the other craft, we see these two men discuss the potential for salvaging the Firefly-class ship. Uh, one of them's named Bree, who complains that the ships, you know, that they're spying on is worthless, and his boss disagrees, however, and is eager to take the vessel if she comes our way. Basically saying that Serenity is made of a load of crap, but, you know, you put all those parts together and you get a ship that's going to fly forever. If you've got a mechanic that's half Why does decent... That sound familiar? And they've got a mechanic who's amazing. So, Firefly's in good hands. Um, I love the whole conversation with um, Zoe and Wash about the juggling geese. <laughs> He's, he's just so random. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, juggling geese, goslings. They were juggled. <laughs> but like Zoe, Zoe's on the edge a bit because she's, you know, been, been shown this like version of this perfect housewife type thing. And even though Wash, like back in there, he's just saying how quaint she is. Oh, you know, it's quaint. Like he's not said, oh, that's amazing. Or, you know, why can't you be more like that? Because he loves Zoe. But she's clearly on edge because of the whole situation as well. 
And then we have Mao entering um, his quarters later on and Saffron manages to kiss him. However, her lips are covered with a narcotic, which renders him unconscious. So, I mean, obviously this whole scene is just like, um, again, you've got Mao and he's just like, wow, there you are. Like, (laughs) there you are. (laughs) It's just, and he does so good just obviously resisting He's clearly a very good man. He doesn't want to take advantage of her. And it takes, you know, her literally kind of throwing herself upon him for him to go to that uh, place where he might end up in the special hell. He manages to narrowly skirt that that pit of doom there. (laughs) Also contains another one of my favourite lines in the episode. Just every scene. I'm just going to go my favourite lines per scene now because there's no point picking a favourite for the episode. But my favourite in that particular montage she gives this whole speech, this Bible verse that's, that's not in any Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and Mal just standing looking and just, whoa, good Bible. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's such a short line, but yeah. it's, oh, it makes me laugh every single time. It's so good. Like her, she's telling all these grand stories of like, you know, her time in the maiden's hearts. And you can just, you can see he's built this fortress around him. It's like, I'm going to be a good man. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to be a gentleman. It's going to be fine. And you can just see as he's telling the story, the bricks are just slowly <laughs> crumbling away. All his defenses are worth nothing in the face of this master manipulator and a very, very thin sheet. I like the other line he says, which is she's talking about some of the men have uh, were blubberous, and he's like looks around to himself. He's like, "Is is there blubber?" <laughs> 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 we learn that Mao is maybe a little bit insecure about his looks, or <laughs> because he's been built up in this episode. She's she's telling him how amazing he is, and you know, compared to the other men, that he's he's good looking, and you know, she saw him and wanted to be with him, and you're just kind of like. Eh, no, we all love our Captain Mao. We do. Captain Tight Pants, he's the best. Captain Tight Pants. And then it's another one of those cases of uh, like brilliant non-verbal acting. In the same way we saw seven different emotions go over Mao's face just before mm. the credits rolled. In this, we see you know the big kiss and everything's looking to go in a, a very special direction. Yep. And then Mao drops to the floor like a sack of spuds. And an instant, you just see Saffron disappear as her face goes from kind of calm meek innocence to boom time to wreck this place yep absolutely brilliant performance from christina Hendricks, who manages to play sort of about three different characters in one episode really brilliantly done speaking of yourself bridge after she's finished taking out the cap she heads to the cockpit and tries to pull the same maneuver on wash but wash is slightly more successful in resisting her charms especially if he's given to a beautiful woman who can kill him with her pinky absolutely accurate he's married to a freaking valkyrie so instead saffron knocks him out the traditional way with a roundhouse kick to the face she quickly takes control of the ship setting it on a course to god knows where sabotaging the controls and locking the door to make sure that no one can correct the horrors she's unleashed upon them i would say people talk about like you know who who's the best fighter and there's who's the best whatever 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 in this one scene, Wash demonstrates he is probably the strongest character in the whole series. He's the only one that manages to completely resist. Well, only one of the, the men and Anara that manages to completely resist Saffron's charms. He's like, 
yeah, you're really nice and, you know, you're you're pressing against me and everything, but <laughs> I'm madly in love with a Valkyrie, so if you could kindly leave me alone, that would be fantastic. <laughs> I love Wash. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of go from the... When he says the line, oh, I really wish I was somebody else right now, I think to myself, oh, Wash, does that mean that, like, you know... Oh, I guess, like, yeah, if you wasn't with Zoe, you'd be all over that. Because, yeah, he's just so... He's just so cute. He just really doesn't know what to do. He's just like, oh, no, no, I need to not be in this room right now. I need to go. Um, you know, I love my wife. And when he turns away, like, the look on Saffron's face of just like, oh, my God, this guy. Like, why can't you be like all the other sleazy men? <laughs> like, he's sort of waxing lyrical about how much he loves his wife. And, oh, she's great. The first time we met, it was you know, love at first sight and she was frisking me. And Saffron's like, why do I have to get the one freaking lovesick puppy in the universe that doesn't want this? <laughs> so he just kicks him in the head. Much, much quicker way to do it. But yeah, slightly less subtle. Yep. So anyway, she runs off to the shuttle to escape and she meets Inara and tries to, to seduce her too. Uh, Inara plays along to buy time, but when the ship alarm sounds, both women drop their pretense, exchanging ironic compliments before Inara asks, who are you? To which Saffron replies, Malcolm Reynolds' widow. A brief uh, fight ensues that allows Saffron to escape in the unoccupied shuttle. So obviously in that moment, um, in the end of that moment, Nara's worried that Malcolm's dead and runs off to to him. But the, the best line in that little bit is just the, you know, they, they realise what's happening. Um, they both know what's going on kind of thing. And she's just like, you're good. And then she's like, you're amazing. Who are you? <laughs> like, because even though... She knows that she's obviously come on and infiltrated and like done some bad stuff. She's like impressed, like with the level of her um, like seductiveness. Mm, game recognizes game. She's like, I mean, I'm a good, I mean, I'm a good companion, but dear Christ, you're amazing. How do you do that? <laughs> very, very good. But it's, it's interesting to note that the brief scuffle between Saffron and Nara is basically the only fight. It's only real kind of action sequence in this episode barring you know a few brief pistol shots right at the start of the episode yeah for an episode that is so beloved by basically everyone this episode actually doesn't contain a lot of the things that make this series as loved as it like there's you know, there's very little river there's very little kind of cowboy shenanigans it's a very kind of character focused episode and, you know, kind of a dramatic tension. And it's probably the most sci-fi of all... Well, I mean, mm. it's not at all, but... <laughs> like, it's it's a very kind of atypical episode that somehow manages to be just such pure... Like, it's it's not really any of the things that make Firefly as loved as it is, but it somehow also manages to be all of the things that make Firefly <laughs> as loved as it is. I don't know many shows that could put that duality into a single episode and manage to make both sides work so well it's yeah it's really quite amazing thinking that mal has been killed or worse inara rushes to his room where he groggily responds to her panicked exclamations she kisses him because any excuse and goes to call for help but uh, the, the goodnight kiss is still there so she starts to get dizzy touching her hand to her lips she realizes how saffron has disabled mal and briefly before saying a word that would have pushed him up to a nine o'clock slot she collapses herself I really enjoy this scene because while the scene itself isn't you know, particularly huge, it sets up for one of the the best. But we'll we'll probably be discussing it in a few minutes. But one of the final scenes of the episode that is just 
everything to me it's, it's kind of the groundwork is laid in this scene yeah so yeah like just you know seeing how much like i think you're never really sure this episode like is anara pissed because she's jealous or is she pissed because she thinks mal's you know not the person she thought she was and you know he's given into all of her worst opinions of everyone but the moment you see like oh i'm malcolm reynolds widow and you see her face just like drain and she sprints off and you're like yeah she's just jealous she loves him it's obvious now if it wasn't before we would all know that this is the point she loves him yep yeah it's definitely that turning point of like oh yeah no she she definitely definitely loves him oh and she's so happy to see that he's not dead that she kisses him yeah and that oh the the funny just ensues i I do like that anara gets such a great episode here we get to see like she gets a really good performance put out um like she gets to be really angry she gets to have a little tiny bit of action and she gets to have some really really funny lines and just like yeah so anyway because mal finally awakens to find most of the crew in his quarters and simon describes the good night kiss that took him out uh wash bemoans having been kicked instead and nara comically and repeatedly uh explains that she hit her head falling <laughs> But she's so cute. She just like slouched on the bed. She's like, <laughs> mm. yeah, my, my head got hurt like wash. I, I only fell is all. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you were saying a minute ago. Like she really gets to display such a huge range of emotions mm. this episode. It's like she plays so many different characters. It's brilliant. Like the kind of the adorable class in this scene is just fantastic. So funny. Yeah. Uh, we then see Jane and Kaylee break into the bridge and Kaylee and Wash get to work on the masterful job of muck-up that Saffron made of their ship. Anara suggests that Saffron is exceptionally talented, possibly even Companion Academy trained. Oh, I like the little bit where she, uh, Wash is like, oh, maybe she likes shuttles. And like they look at him like, what? And he's like, look, some people juggle geese. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent callback to that part of the episode. Very fun. I have to wonder if in, in, if in a better universe where we'd had you know maybe three or four seasons of Serenity or Firefly, do you think we ever would have gotten to actually see the Companion Academy? Because we meet quite a few companions over the course of the series. Yeah. I... Do you think we ever would have actually seen where they came from and maybe learned a bit more about their world? Or do you think we would have just continued for it to be just kind of a thing that's mentioned but never directly focused on? I think they're pos- if it went on for a few seasons, there probably would have been a moment where she leaves the ship for whatever reason and goes back to the academy or, I don't know. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see, like, I don't know. But I think she'd be eternally bored there again and just want to go back out and travel the world, the universe. Absolutely, because there was meant to be the rumoured plotline of her being ill, wasn't there? Yeah. So maybe she could have returned to the academy because I, I imagine being as they train courtesans they would have had a pretty exceptional medical department yep maybe she could kind of return there to get a checkup and a bit of a bit of medical care and we could have seen it that way that would have been mm. introduced introduce, in, a good chance to introduce another doctor the show needs more doctors <laughs> more doctors <laughs> um i really like the oh, oh jane says um well that's why i never kiss him on the mouth <laughs> <laughs> and it just completely breaks and every single person on the bridge just looks at him like what yeah <laughs> it's just funny and Mao, he's like well you know she because they're all judging him at this point that he he kissed her and 
especially Book, obviously, and he really wants to prove to Book that he didn't take advantage. It's just like, well, she was all naked and and all articulate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that line. I love it. We all know. (laughs) Everyone looks for, I was going to say articulacy, but that's not a word, so... (laughs) Articulation. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, I think that the whole line about not kissing them on the mouth, that's another brilliant example of Joss's use of kind of silence in this episode. Like, you know, they so easily could have had someone say something quippy then, like, you know, that's why we don't talk to you or whatever. But they, he just drops that line and everyone just looks at him like, dude, what is wrong with you? And there's no no line needs to be said. They just look at him like, nope, and then just turn around and walk out of the fucking room. Yeah. Do not need to reply to that. Just leave that to set and ignore it. So good. Then we get another look at the other guys um, on the spacecraft, so the scrappers, and they're observing Serenity approaching, complimenting Saffron for her excellent work. And, yeah, I don't think we pay overly attention to who these guys are. We don't care. They're trying to destroy the, the, the Serenity, so... Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that one of them had mentioned the other one's name, I don't think anyone re- would, no one would really be looking into who these people are. They're just, they're red shirts. That's well, I didn't just... think about their names at all, but at the top when you said, oh, um, one of them's called Corbin, and that's like um, Corbin Dallas from Fi- uh, Fifth Element. Great film. So I wonder if that was a, is a callback to one of the greatest sci-fi films ever made. Oh, for sure. The, the Serenity's crew finally get a reading on their heading, which is right into an electronic dissembler net called a Carrion House. Wonderful name. And while Kaylee struggles to get the navigational ability returned, Jane uses Vera to shoot up one of the net's six breakers, shorting the structure just as Serenity glides through serenely, unharmed. Jane then returns the scavenger's threat of depressurization by blowing out a port of their spacecraft, killing the two unsuited red shirts. This, you know, the, the, the crux of the scene is them sailing through. It's like, I, you're probably meant to feel something seeing Bree and his and Corbin kind of get depressurized and shot out of the port. But I couldn't help but think, like, who are these people? Are we are we actually meant to care that these two people have just been taken out? Like, if it sort of feels like we could have just seen a net and it gets blown up and they sail through. Yeah. And the, the episode would have been unchanged if we removed the 30 seconds that we see these two people talking through the entire episode. Hmm. It kind of feels like they needed to make up a couple of minutes in the running time. So they just tacked in some scenes with these two random mooks talking about nonsense. And possibly because they wanted to foreshadow the whole thing about... Um, if you have a decent mechanic, you can have a firefly that will live forever because of uh, Out of Gas, which has come up in a few episodes where the line is repeated. Yeah, I was also thinking kind of like, like say they, they know what this thing is called and what it is and this net, like giving us like their knowledge of the verse and that they know that there are people like this out there and like, you know, they're just this like bumbling crew like a lot of the time, but the knowledge that they have from travelling around and like the technologies as well and just everything that's happening in the world I feel like gives us an insight to just how knowledgeable they are about everything mm. especially Shepard Book who remains a huge question mark and Jane's line you have to tell us one day how a Shepard knows so much about crime yeah you, you really want to know why he does it's quite a story <laughs> um, I, I, the, the comics are considered canon aren't they yeah yeah because the there, there's a uh, yeah yeah there's the uh the whole 
arc about Book and his past that's it's quite a tale. If if everyone anyone out there is listening that hasn't read it, I strongly recommend you do. It's it kind of make really makes me annoyed that we didn't get a chance to see something reminiscent of that on screen because it's it's a really cool story. It is, yes. I would yeah, definitely recommend reading the graphic novels because and they don't take long because they're comics, you can get through them pretty quickly. And you get to look at the pretty pictures. <laughs> so then we see on a snowy world, Saffron is packing uh, when Mal bursts into her cabin. After a brief struggle, accompanied by Mal's mockery of their supposed wedding nuptials, he asks her why she would go through so much trouble um, for her con game. She says, you're assuming the payoff is the point. So yeah, it's kind of funny. She clearly um, enjoys seducing people and tricking people and 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 conning people not necessarily for the payoff but just because i don't know she gets a kick out of it or whatever Mm. i mean not we haven't so much seen it in this episode but when you kind of patch together the whole yourself bridge arc there are some quite clear sociopathic tendencies yeah weaved through her character so i really do think she's just doing it because she likes she likes to have people dancing in the palm of her hand so she you know, she just does it because she can't conceive of a world where she's not controlling people like puppets which is kind of scary and a little sad and it just again it's, it's one line but it adds a lot of depth to a character that so easily could have just been a two-dimensional you know, scary lady like there is kind of a sadness to her. Like this is really all she knows and all she can do. And mm. you know, when we get a bit of a more of a backstory later on, it's like she is quite a tragic figure, despite the fact that every time she shows up, the the crew end up somewhat worse for wear. Yeah. I love um when Mao enters and he gives the whole honey, I'm home. Again, it's it, it it's any situation they can get their lines in and it's brilliant. Um, but but after all that, you know, exchanging um, dubious compliments and having failed to satisfy his curiosity about her real name, Mal simply knocks her unconscious and leaves uh, with his shuttle. Yeah, so he doesn't kill her and she's not an immediate threat at that point. So it'd be more like a revenge thing than a, you know, usually it kills people like in the moment during fights and stuff. So I, I get why he, they, they left her alive kind of thing. It would feel a bit less like self-defense when she's just sort of in a cabin on her own. It would feel a lot more like cold-blooded murder, and that's just not Mal's style. Exactly. He's too good a man. I would hazard that knocking a woman out and leaving her in a (laughs) small house on a snowy world is probably tantamount to murder anyway, but she survives, (laughs) so it's fine. She does. She comes back. She's a tough lady. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Like a bad penny. So Mal returns to Serenity... And of course, his first thing is to stop in and see Inara. Mm. Mal presses Inara for an explanation of how she, a graceful woman, to use his words, managed to hit her head while calling for help. When Inara acknowledges that she didn't trip, Mal jumps absurdly to the wrong conclusion. I knew you let her kiss you. Though her professional reputation has taken a minor hit, Inara's emotional indiscretion with the groggy captain remains her secret in, quite possibly... The best scene of the episode. It's such a good I scene. Lo- I cannot express how much I love that moment. They're like, they're inches away from each other. Yep. And he's like, she's like, yeah, okay, so maybe I didn't knock it, get knocked out. I did actually get the uh, the good night kiss. <laughs> and it's just, he can't. He somehow manages to have two and two, put them together, and make five because <laughs> like he's 
he's a you know he's a very worldly guy as we were talking about before you know they really they know the universe they know all the terrible things that can happen but he, he just can't see what's right in front of his face and it's like literally inches from him and he still can't see it and it's just oh it's so good <laughs> i love how dumb he is and it's brilliant <laughs> it's just it's really good because you can see in both their faces she's like you know what she's talking about but he can't pick up on it and he knows what he's talking about and she thinks that he's talking about something different they look like they're completely on the same level to anyone like on looking but they're like way off <laughs> and it's just brilliant because she's like at this point where she's like oh he's gonna say it and then I can you know really confess my feelings and we can we can live happily ever after. And then when she gets, if that's her hopes that, you know, he's going to realise and then maybe they'll have something together. If that's what she's hoping in that moment, you can see it in her face. When he says that, I love how she doesn't have this like devastated look on her face or like upset. It's more of just a comical, oh, Mal, you know, just this. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> she but knows she's him. She's in like... love with an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> kind of sums up their whole relationship like they're both they're both clearly in love with each other but, but like they're just they're so clueless they can't they're never kind of on the same page at the same time yeah brilliant and i i do kind of like that it's it's never really resolved like there's there's no definitive will they won't they it's just it's always kind of it's just the, the eternal question and i i, I am i'm rather fond of that i don't i don't i find quite often in their situations when you resolve it one way or the other it tends to not end very well. Yeah. So I'm quite glad that it's that's the one good side to Firefly not getting as many episodes as it should have is that we we are left with that eternal question, which is always more fun than an answer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I like just in general as well their relationship. Like Anara gets a really good character. I think in a lot of other shows she would have like just been this woman love interest and not really mm. done much or had much depth to her character. But here we get a really fantastic character and it's I say it with pretty much every show that I watch if I don't like every character in the main cast like even if there's just one that I'm a bit like oh well they're not really you know then I genuinely know I'm not going to enjoy the show and I can tell from like the first episode or two and if it's from then if there's a character that annoys me or bugs me or I just don't really like that much then I know I'm not going to enjoy the show um and this this show every character you know, bring something, is there for a reason, has a really good kind of story and character. And yeah, it just, just, yeah, Inara's definitely, actually, I think a lot of people will probably be like, oh, Inara's like not one of the best characters out of all of them. But actually, I really love her. I think she's great. Yeah, I think she has, like, she has, like, all the other characters have a more kind of, definite role within the crew because they are you know they are kind of a, a set crew whereas anara is kind of a a moon orbiting them hence why she's in the shuttle off to one side yeah but like there is a definite role that she fulfills within the show and it would the show would be considerably less without her or even just if her character wasn't as brilliantly written as it was the show would be lesser for it so i mean i, I really don't think you can kind of discount any of them I, I don't understand how anyone can watch the show and not think that everyone there adds so much. Like even again, Jane, who is a very, who would be a very one-dimensional character in many shows, he's just the muscle. <laughs> he adds so much to the show. Like there's more to him than just 
a dumb guy with a gun and a rain stick. And there's, there's so much more to Inara than just the companion off to one side. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of a, it's an ensemble cast done incredibly well, which is kind of Joss Whedon's thing, so it makes sense that he's done it this time. But this is definitely his strongest ensemble, I think, of any of the shows. Yeah, um, we just watched, re, uh, we finished rewatching Buffy and we're on Angel now. But from rewatching Buffy, um, and I feel like growing up, I always used to just think Cordelia was like this annoying side character who dated Xander and then kind of disappears. I really love Cordelia. <laughs> like from yeah. from rewatching Buffy. Uh, yeah, I really. And then moving straight into Angel um, in doing a rewatch. Ah, I love Cordelia. <laughs> yeah i think she has one of the best arcs yeah of anyone in that like, a lot of people think that she only kind of improves in heavy air quotes once she reaches angel and kind of strikes out on her own but if you actually really pay attention to what she does during buffy there's so much gro- she grows almost more than any of the other characters yeah. within buffy except for probably willow <laughs> if you look at where she was when she started and where she was when she left to join angel there's a huge amount of growth there. It's such a brilliant character. Someone ever tries to kill you, you try to kill him right back. So favourite quotes from this episode is just kind of almost impossible because it's like the whole episode is just filled with so many hilarious lines. But I guess for me, either Jane's whole little speech about Vera and also the just the special hell because it's just so usable in everyday life. They are pretty iconic picks. I can't really fault either of them. And I think we've we've kind of covered most of my favourite quotes throughout the episode. Um, we're the only ones that don't think this is funny. The way it kind of caps off that scene is great. And I don't know why, but it's just every time he says, if you're done with supper, would you like me to wash your feet? <laughs> I, I, I can't hear that line without just crying with laughter. Like, is this something you've been told that is kind of part of the experience? Where does washing your feet come into any of this? It's just, it's such a weird request. But Mao is just as confused by it. That's the reason. Yeah, like everyone in the room is just looking like, <laughs> what? where the hell did that come from? It's so, so funny. And oh yeah, James, you got a wife? All I got was that dumb ass stick. Sounds like it's raining. I mean, how can you hate a show that contains lines like that? It's mm. just... They're so amazing. I think this episode is one of the most kind of perfectly crafted examples of Joss's writing. It manages to balance the serious and the quippy and the silence so brilliantly. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I've, I, again, I found this so hilarious. I mean, I was literally sitting laughing out loud, which especially nowadays, I find I'm not enjoying like current TV shows and things um, anywhere near as much as like my, my older TV shows that I love. Um, but this was literally getting me to laugh out loud. Like when you know I've seen it like however many times before and it's still getting you to laugh that hard. Um, so we'll move on to some emails. We have an email, uh, we actually have a voicemail from Steve Brown, one of our loyal listeners. So we'll give that a listen. Hello, the Nevers podcast. This is Steve. And uh, I'm so sorry that I missed the uh, the feedback for Shindig because it is one of my favorite episodes. But then Safe is also one of my favorite episodes as well. So it's uh, really, really good to two episodes back to back where we get, um, you know, information about the, the series. I loved your comments, by the way, about 
uh, found family instead of blood family because um, you know, I get choked up a little bit because I'm a former military, I'm retired U.S. Air Force, and that's all I've had for, I'm 51 years old, and for 30 years of my life, I've had found family. So it was uh, really cool to hear you guys talk about that and and reference that in this episode, in these episodes, and, and part of what Firefly is. And it's why I'm such a big fan of Firefly. And this episode, our, Mr. Re- uh, our Mrs. Reynolds uh, even addresses that when at one point when she recognizes that Mal and uh, and the other guy they had served together in the war. So, uh, yeah, I'm just watching the episode now, and uh, I may give some more comments here in a second. <laughs> I laugh every time. <laughs> he makes everybody cry. He's a monster. <laughs> Love Jewel State. <laughs> Child molesters and people who talk at the theater. Well, my days of not taking you seriously have definitely come to a middle. I <laughs> Love that line. Okay, Shrock, you may help me out. I'm in the scene with uh, Mal and Saffron in his quarters. Uh, that's not in my Bible anywhere that I know of. Yeah, unfortunately, we never do learn how much a preacher knows so much about crime. Unfortunately. I love how Jane shoots out, shorts the net, and then shoots out the window as well. Okay, I guess I misspoke at the beginning. It's actually the next time she shows up where she comments that Mal and the guy she's with uh, were together in the war. All right. Uh, can't wait to hear you guys talk about this one. I love the podcast. Sorry this went so long. Uh, talk to you later. Uh, it's good to hear from you again, Steve. So thank you very much for your message. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a very good theme in, in Safe. And uh, like we said earlier, Shindig was is definitely one of our favorites. And this album, Mrs. For Reynolds, sure. for sure. <laughs> Oh yes, <laughs> three three fantastic episodes. Yeah, and all very um, like very very different. I feel like Shindig is hilarious, but not quite as funny as our Mrs. Reynolds. But it's nice to kind of be off the ship, um, kind of experiencing you know the outside world a bit, and then we get safe, which is like experiencing the outside world a bit in a very different way. Um, and it's oh, all yes. about calling back to home. And then this episode is just all laughs and just the best writing <laughs> razor sharp script I, li- I like shindig because it's kind of it's it's almost like a kind of um like a renaissance ball episode it's all, it's all very kind of high society yeah and it, it makes them really stand out because they are very much not high society and then you contrast that with safe which is almost like a kind of salem witch trials episode if i'm remembering my episode titles correctly yeah like it shows kind of the yeah, no matter how kind of nice and tolerant a society may seem, it just takes one moment and suddenly they're burning you at the stake. <laughs> it's 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 great. So kind of each episode almost shows a different because it's sci-fi, so they can travel from planet to planet. You can almost be a completely different show every episode. And I think that's one of the real strengths of Firefly. When the credits roll, you never know what you're going to get from an episode because you've got the ability to just travel all over the verse. Yep. You can really be whoever you want with every episode. And I think that is highlighted so perfectly in this episode because the episode starts, we meet Saffron. It's like, oh, she's just, you know, innocent, naive Saffron who's accidentally been married to Mal. Oh, wait, no, she's a sociopathic killer <laughs> who's trying to blow up the ship and make profit from it. <laughs> it's, it's, one of those, it's a very unique twist that you can only, re- you can only really get with sci-fi because 
like just that ability to completely change your whole genre with every episode and the fact that joss can write you know a, a high a regency high ball and then the next episode is salem witch trials and the episode after that is you know cows or juggling geese how how do you do that and have the kind of the themes running so brilliantly through the whole story even if the setting and the tone and the genre are completely different with every episode it's very very well done and the the craziness is going to continue into the next episode which is jamestown <laughs> oh, oh my god what it's, an episode what an episode yeah so we'll uh talk about that a bit more in a second but um we'd like to thank our listeners for listening to this episode um any letters can be sent to fireflybits at gmail.com that's fireflybits at gmail.com so thanks Tyg for joining and would you uh i don't i know from listening before you didn't have socials but have you are you on social media now i have i actually joined the evil that is twitter towards the end of my time on the podcast uh you can find me at the hound reacts on twitter it's the hound reacts i'm not on there a huge amount but if i am i'm probably talking about something nerdy so feel free to hit me <laughs> up and talk about nerd stuff yeah i don't really use twitter I, I i have one but i haven't written on it probably for 10 years or more now i'm i'm i don't really post on facebook like with my private life i really only have instagram and i just kind of post pictures of nerdy stuff that i'm doing so if you want to follow my Good nerdy call. instagram um that's at laura jp1721 and i'm also giving streaming a go so we'll see how that goes and if it goes well then it'll be a continuous thing of me walking about my animal crossing town probably <laughs> although i just got worry i just got worry aware and that's always um always good fun but yeah I do like playing Mario Kart as well, but I do tend to swear a lot. Was <laughs> <laughs> there meant to be a Firefly game coming out? A game? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I know they've got several board games. Oh, the board games are great. And there's also a Firefly expansion for Legendary, which is fantastic. But yeah, I was following it on social media. There was meant to be like a turn-based strategy game where you got to play as your own crew and fly around doing jobs. Oh. Hmm. I have to uh, look into that. But yeah, our next episode is going to be about Janestown. So a little synopsis for Janestown. Uh, returning to a moon where he ran into some serious trouble years ago, uh, Jane discovers that he's since become a local folk legend. And yeah, this is just, again, hilarious for all different reasons. <laughs> and we get the infamous Jane's Jane song. A hero of Canton. <laughs> Love a it. hero of Canton. So yeah, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time on Firefly Back in the Skies. Bye. Bye.